Welcome to What's Happening in 40K. Your daily dose of all things Warhammer 40,000. Each day, Monday through Friday, we explore the Warhammer 40,000 tournament scene. And bring you the latest news, updates, and opinions. So, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a newcomer to the hobby, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us as we delve into the world of 40K. Here's your host, Mufasa. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. Today we are joined by our first returning guest, Manny Chima. Manny has recently come second at the Southampton Super Major, but also has won the ITT since we last spoke to him. Manny has been running Dark Angels at all of these events, including obviously Beachhead from the first appearance on the show, and he's been making tweaks to his list throughout. So today we're going to spoke, focus on how you adapt and change to counter the matter a little bit, but also to optimize your performance when you're already doing the best you can, winning events after events. So Manny, welcome back to the show. Hi, bro. Thank you very much for having me on again. You're most welcome. And I'm sure we'll probably talk to you a few times over the course of the years. You keep doing so well. So congratulations, first of all, second <laughs> place at the biggest event of the weekend. It's nothing to sniff at and, you know, very, very high profile achievement considering you're still very much in the running for an early lead of the ITC. So quickly, why don't you just tell us about, you know, what your list was this weekend in comparison to where it was last time we spoke to you, and then we'll get into the, the so, meat of the show. Yeah. So um, I've made quite a lot of changes. Um to the list and I changed it both ways. So um the last time we spoke I was playing um 20 terminators I believe 25 the same that I played this weekend something like that and I actually said that you don't need all those terminators maybe and that you should uh, you know change a little bit come down and put some more flexibility into the list but then uh, contradictory to that the very next weekend to the ITT, I actually took 30 Terminators. So I took a lot more. But we'll cover that in a little bit because that was with the team mindset. So this is all about how Zach was just saying about adapting your list um, to different scenarios. Now, the team environment, the team dynamic is completely different to singles. That's why the Terminators increased in volume in the list. And then you'll notice for this event, I came straight back down to the 25 to add a few more tech pieces here and there so um notably lazarus came into my list that wasn't there before that's a big big change in my opinion and the other massive change that i had was four of my six land speeders disappeared from the list i only kept two and i have gone down the route of taking more attack bikes instead that's the bulk of what's changed not much else has changed in the list it stayed pretty similar just these little tweaks i've been making here and there <clears throat> Well, that's super interesting. You brought up the team straight away. You know, the way you described that, the language you used, sounded very much to me like a sort of scientific mindset, this concept of trial and error experimentation, where you're making a tweak, you have to test it, you have to then, you know, relate it back to your baseline performance. And obviously, if we take Beachhead as your baseline performance, where you went undefeated and won that event, you sort of said, well, you went through this thought experiment of reducing your Terminators, went through this practical experiment of going to a team's event with more Terminators. Sounds like this is a sort of approach we were taught in high school when we were doing GCSE physics or whatever. You know, this is, this sounds like it's applicable to 40K. So 
let's focus on this episode on you know your thought process behind adapting these lists because this is something that we can generalize across all armies everyone goes to an event or plays their friends down the club has some new data to, to continue this sort of scientific metaphor and then needs to make adaptions uh, to change as a result of that and whether they're, they're perfectly happy with their list or not obviously the meta is moving on which is all of course, always a new data point. So in the last episode, we talked to Calvin about the data from the weekend. We spoke to him about comparing the US data versus UK data. Now, from your player's perspective, what's the sort of thought processes you go through? Are you like David Gaylord, a maths guy looking at the data from that side of things and then tweaking because of predictions on the upcoming meta? Or are you just going on your your intuition? So just give us a bit of background about how you think about the game and how you think about a list in terms of adapting it to, to take into account new information you've gathered from a previous event. Yeah, for sure. So um, I I look quite a lot of it from the stats point of view as well. Um, like David was saying in his podcast, um, that was a really good listen as well, guys. If you haven't listened to it, go and listen back to that. David's uh, he's played really, really well. And uh, big congrats to him, I do want to say, for, for this weekend. He had an awesome win and he played really, really well. So well done, David. Um, but yeah, I also look at the game quite a lot from a stats perspective. Um, my degree being in maths... Um, it comes quite naturally to me you know, being able to work odds very quickly at the table is an advantage I think I have over quite a lot of players that I play because some people don't quite take into account um you know when you get a re-roll when things are minus one to hit those kind of things people don't really they don't really consider those because they can't work them out really quickly at the table which is one advantage that I do have I can switch odds really quickly at the table and find the averages of and then find the optimal move that I should do when at the table so that's when you're like in the game um but then pre-game like pre-event when you're talking about you know looking at the stats and stuff like that so I often look at which players are coming to the event <clears throat> and then quite often from you know all the gaming groups that you're in you can see the armies that those players are testing so i do come in with the knowledge of okay this player and this player are coming so they're most likely going to bring these like for example for this event i knew david gaylord was coming i knew nasim was coming so i knew these guys were going to be bringing guard so which was the very different you know thing that was the main differing factor from beachhead when i looked at beachhead i was like okay there's maybe going to be one guard player at beachhead and there was michael costello was the only one that was really testing guard at that point but even he had to drop out in the morning of the event so there were no Astra Militarum players at Beachhead. Now that was going to change completely for this because I knew two of the best players that were coming were bringing guard. So at that point you have to go, well, I have to tweak my list to be able to play the guard, but I can't tweak so much and get hung up on the fact of trying to beat Astra Militarum so much that it makes my other matchups weaker. You also have to consider that you still need to do well against those matchups. And I also think what's very interesting about your events as well, Zach, is that because your attendance is so high, which I think as well, mate, is phenomenal um, for the meta right now and the UK scene. So thank you very much for all the work that you do and the super majors that you're you're able to put out there. I think that's fantastic for the players of the UK uh, and Europe, really, because you know they're becoming European events. Loads of players from you know the European community are coming over for your events, and I think that's fantastic. Um, so thanks for that. But um, the dynamic that introduces, where you have sort of like this weekend where there were two. 200 players 
But we knew that only four of those players were going to make the top cut. And the rest, the other undefeated players, because there were going to be six slash seven, we knew that two or three of them would not get to play. So that also comes into when you're building your list is instead of going, these are all the best units in the book. I need to take all of those and then see which secondaries can I do game to game. That's a that's the mindset you need to have if you just need to win every game by a single point. So that's when a, when an event is going to have one definitive winner and you're going to get right to the end, even if you only win every game by one point. That's the way that you can look at the game. Whereas in these events, you have to go, right, not only do I have to win every game, but I have to score consistently over 85, 90 points if I want to make that top cut. That also brings a totally different dynamic to the game. So you've got to think about all these different types of things. You mentioned uh, something I think that's really important there, research. And towards the end of, 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 of your answer, you were talking about the pack in terms of the format that we have at the UKTC. And at the beginning, we were obviously talking about the players. So we're talking about two different types of research. So it's not just using the data from the games themselves in terms of practice, which is something that David touches on a lot. But we're talking about research outside of the actual game playing experience, so players and the pack. Now, one of the key changes we've made to the UKTC pack recently is the inclusion of a dish, an additional quarters base map, and obviously our quarters base map changed slightly. Is this something that you 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 incorporate into your research and your sort of data gathering stage of your of your tweaking and adapting the list? It, were you sitting there on TTS? I mean, I know you have a gaming store, so were you able to get some physical practice in, or is this sort of a tangential thing that you sort of get from the experience at the gaming table itself? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, so I've got I've got myself a set of UKTC terrain, and um, I don't really like playing on TTS very much. I know a lot of players uh, are moving over to TTS because it's a way of getting loads of reps in. Um, now, I'm not a big fan of loads of reps. I don't think. Um, I'm at the stage where I need to get lots and lots of different reps in. I think it's more about the quality of reps. And um, quite often what I do, because, you know, like when I go to these events, my aim now is to try to make the top four. You know, as you progress through, you, you know, your 40K sort of like career, and the path that you project for yourself. When I first started, it was about winning a game, going to an event and winning one game. Just don't come out with five losses. And then it became about winning more than you lose. So try to go three and two in most events. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to aim for the top four. It's always good to you know keep trying to achieve. So because I'm aiming for that top four, that also um, changes your mindset on how you're going to go into it quite a lot. So quite often what I do is I just get my UKTC set of terrain out lay it out on the board and have a look at how would I deploy my army in different circumstances? If I was to play against a combat army like World Eaters, how would I deploy on this map? If I then have to play against Guard who have a lot more firepower and have the speed to get some angles with some of their mechanized orders, how would I then deploy my army? So I find that there's a lot more use the higher level of playing the game out of doing things like that rather than just getting reps in with your list. So I, I really enjoy doing that quite a lot of the time. I just get my UKTC set of uh, terrain out. It might be a bit lame, but you know, I think if you want to do really well, you, you need to have a look at all different aspects of how to up your game. And I think just having the board set out in front of you 
can bring ideas to your mind that you wouldn't normally have if you were just kept smashing out reps with your list to try and you know make your list the best that it can be yeah i completely agree and it's something that we used to do back before tts was even known to the 40k scene you know for wtc prep we would do deployment do first term movement or whatever and then reset and then reset and you know it was super sociable because we were practicing for a team event so you're doing it with your buddies but definitely that sort of like having somebody to bounce ideas off physically i think is super helpful now the tts crowd obviously say that you know be able to click a button and reset the board is you know more efficient but i think this game is fundamentally physical i think there's a certain level of information you can pick up through having the, the tangible models and boards out in front of you that you can't pick up from a computer screen. So it's interesting to hear that that you think the same because obviously some of the community that are doing very well at the moment are lacking that side of things. So maybe that's one of your edges you have, Manny. Uh, yeah, that, I was going to say it, it totally it totally helps. It, it definitely, definitely does because I used to go to events without doing that, without laying the map down of the specific events I was going to and just try to rely on player skill. And it would it would get me quite far. I think I I know the nuances of the game quite well, like the actual mechanics of the game and how they work. I'm able to um, capitalize on those more than other people. However, sometimes you'd come to a matchup where you'd be like, okay, this is literally about who can get one up on the other person who can kind of outplay the other person at one particular moment and if you haven't had a look at the maps where the objectives are in relation to ruins which ones you can hide and hold which ones you have to trade units on to hold that can really cost you in those top level games at the end so i think it, it is really massive to have that sort of practice beforehand going into any event hmm. well we focused a lot so far on how you adapt a list but the adaption you made from the ITT to this event, um, it may have been a positive adaption, but ultimately your performance was slightly less. You came second this time instead of winning both Beachhead and ITT. So tell us through a little bit about how you how you view uh, this adaption that you've made in the context of you know your performance. Is this something that you'd be like, oh, I immediately switch back to the old list? Is it something you say, well, actually, no, this was just the one the one game, the one matchup, and you stay positive about it? You know, at what point do you start thinking? Maybe I've I've sort of adapted, but adapted in a way that is um, less well fitted to the environment. You know, you've sort of to take our Darwinian expression, you've sort of evolved down a path which has made you less well fitted for your environment. Um. Yeah. So there is um there is a huge point in recognizing where you're going wrong. And um, having a look and going, okay, I've tried to adapt to this and maybe I haven't adapted so well. What can I do now? Um, in my opinion, this actually isn't one of those cases. This is one of those cases where I've got to look back on it and I've got to go, okay, when I won Beachhead, there were no guard. So that list at Beachhead was good. This list at Southampton is still better than that list, in my opinion. Um there, there were, there's quite a lot of fundamental changes in there and the units that I've put in benefit so much more with synergizing with the list than the ones I had before. So it's undeniable that the list is better than it was before. It, there was just the point of there was no guard back then. So the pitfalls in that list weren't made apparent. Whereas if you look at Southampton, every other Dark Angel player that went, well, a lot of the other Dark Angels players that went had a version of my old list with a lot of land speeders in and they all fell short somewhere. They didn't quite make it to the top four, 
And I think it's quite a lot to do with how you adapt your list. So I'm actually really happy with this version of the list and I can't compare it to the ITT because at the ITT, like we said, it was a team event. I could uh, I could lean very hard into the land speeders and terminate a 50-50 split and not take other toolboxes in the list and just go, I'm half Terminator and I'm half Landspeeder and that is how I'm going into that event because I could, through pairings and doing pairings with, you know, between the teams, you can avoid certain matchups. So you can't really compare a singles list to that list. It's very, very different. But going into this event, I actually felt a lot more confident than I did before because when I played in Beachhead, when we got to the top four of Beachhead, Nicholas Willingale was there as well, who also did really well this weekend with his Gene Steeler call. And this is just the thing I wanted to touch on. So Nicholas Willingale played against Adam Lane. I think it was in round four or round five, a very important round. And Adam Lane was playing my list from the ITT, the 30 Terminators with the six land speeders. And Nicholas Willingale played him. And because of the Webbers he had, he was removing six or seven Terminators from Adam's army every single turn with mortal wounds. And he eventually beat Adam Lane. And I was in the position where I could have played him at Beachhead because we were all in the top four of Beachhead. And I was really nervous about that game. So coming into this, I was like, okay, GSC is one I do have to watch out for. I didn't consider them before, and now I need to. So what I did was I went in with the mindset of, okay, what I'm going to do in this game is I'm actually going to take a list where I can put Lazarus in there. And this is why Lazarus in there for some mortal wound protection against specifically Gene Stealer Cult and Kasakin units that tend to Barbican Key too far from the finial. If someone does that, like a less experienced player, you'll get feel no pains, which is huge. And it changes the Weber game insanely against GSC. So they go from having maximum shots and a third of those doing mortal wounds, which is, you know, they'll 16 Webbers is what people have in most armies. That will be 48 shots and it will do 16 mortal wounds. That'll kill just over five Terminators normally. In this new list, I combat squad all of my Terminators and keep one from each squad within range of Lazarus. All of a sudden, they need to roll their number of shots, so they immediately go from 48 to an average of 32. Then only a third of those do mortals, which is roughly 10. And then I have a feel no pain. So it goes down to roughly 6 or 7. So now instead of losing 5 or 6 Terminators a turn, I'm only losing 2. So I actually think the list that I went in with was a lot stronger than the list before. And fundamentally for those little tweaks with Lazarus and also the attack bikes coming in over the four land speeders, the attack bikes add so much more and they they synergize with the army so much better because the land speeders had no rerolls to hit, no rerolls to wound and no buffed protection. However, my attack bikes get reroll ones to hit, reroll ones to wound more high quality shots, more low quality shots. They get a six up feel no pain from my apothecary. And most importantly, I can bring them back as well. And they count as being double obsec if they're next to both of my characters with um, objective secured auras. So the list, in my opinion, is actually a lot stronger. But um, the game with David was just a very close one. And again, it's not an unwinnable game. If the game was unwinnable and I was like, okay, there was no point really where I could see myself winning that game, I would then have a look at how I could tweak the list. But actually, the game with David came between 10 points. We were, you know, very, very close. And he played it exceptionally well. David's a very, very good player. And um, he knew exactly what he was doing. He'd had some practice games against Dark Angels. 
but the game came between eight to nine points, which is what we both thought it would be at the start. But there were a few pivotal moments, like the Death and Zeal matchup is not the best for me. If it was the scouring the game before, that could have been a very different scenario. That mission is slightly in my favor over the guard, whereas Death and Zeal was slightly in David's favor. But then me going second kind of leveled that out and gave me a little bit of an advantage. However, I had a small misplay with my attack bikes where I left them in reserve, which gave David control of the board early on, which was beneficial for him. I didn't realize at the time because he was getting control of the board early on, meaning he was going to score high at the start. Now, I knew I was going to score high at the end, but my whole game plan then should be reducing his score at the start. But with my attack bikes in reserve, I couldn't quite do that. So that is a big, big difference in the game. I should have kept the attack bikes on the board and that could change the uh, the win to a small loss the uh, ability to be able to go right if you actually play for the board i will punish you here and um on this occasion finally um the dice did slightly go towards david's favor which uh, notoriously the dice usually go towards my favor um especially when playing david and um he has uh, finally got a big w over me which uh, you know is you know hats off to him he played it very very well and it was an awesome game yeah, David, I know was in particular thrilled about about finally getting that that victory over you. So well done, <laughs> David, and, and well done to you, Manny. But um, you're now going through a process. So we'll leave we'll leave with this question of that's very familiar to most tournament players. Now you've gone to an event, you've done well. You've gone to another event subsequently, and you've done slightly less well. And you're about to come to obviously the Manchester GT in a couple of weeks. So. How do you think about it? Is this something that disheartens you? Is this something that you just take in your stride because you've it's happened so many times? Like psychologically, how are you going to be prepping for Manchester given that you're technically on a downward trend now? Yeah, so um, you know, you you do have to take it in your stride because I feel like if you tr- if you start beating yourself up about it, you're not going to progress in a in a positive manner, and um, you know, like um, and I think. This one I've I've taken particularly well in my stride because um, you have to sometimes just go, okay, dice happen. I did have a game plan. There was a moment where I could have won the game. I had my talent master reach very deep into David's deployment zone, and I was actually behind his big L with a talent master. And the only way he could have killed me was with some indirect fire. And um, that's where the dice came in. He rolled exceptionally well. I rolled very, very poorly on my saves. And that guy went down. And he was my chance of winning the game there at the end, um, which, you know, kind of took it out of my hands. And part of me was like, oh, man, that really sucks. But then I was like, okay, yes, it does suck. But how many times have you been in that situation where the dice have gone in your favor? And, you know, it's kind of snowballed. So you have to just play to the best of your ability and appreciate that it is a dice game and dice do happen, you know? So you, you take it in your stride and you go, okay, I did slightly less well than I have been doing in events. But man, you you can't go into every event expecting to win them all. I think that's a very, um, that would be a very unhealthy mindset. And that's mm. why the way I'm looking at it is I'm going, actually, I've achieved just as well as I have in other events. That's the way I'm looking at it because some of the other events, you haven't had to play seven games to get to the final and and try to win the whole event. You've only had to play five. And, you know, that's a lot less taxing on you mentally. So I think coming second at a seven-round super major with 200 players um, 
is a greater achievement for me than winning a six-round event that was only 120 players at Beachhead. So I actually, I actually am happier with my performance here. And also, they kind of hold equal weighting to me because, like I said, my my aim is to make the top four. If I make the top four and I am consistently sort of in the running for making the top four and trying to get on that podium, I am just super happy with my performance. And, um, you know, there are so many, so many top, top players in the in the UK right now. I, I do not think I am the best player in the UK. Um, I, I don't think that at all. I think there are so many phenomenal players in the UK. So... To kind of try to expect to come first in all of them, I think would be a really unhealthy mindset. So I'm just very, very happy that I I had the opportunity to try and get yet another another win. I think um, it, it's absolutely awesome. I'm I'm really liking the UKTC scene right now, and um, I I have I've now won six UKTC events um, in total, and. I had the potential to win a seventh one. And I think that just makes me feel really proud of my performance. I don't think it's about actually coming first. I think it's about achieving your aims and mine are always to kind of like make the top four and give every good player or top player that I, you know, come across on the table a hard game. That's what I strive towards now. Nice. I try to give them the the best game I possibly can. And if I'm doing that, then I am I'm just super happy with my performance. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good mentality to have. And of course, last year, our highest ranked player, Vic Vijay, was noticeably absent from this weekend. So I think he will be on the schedule for Manchester and hopefully you guys can have a, a glorious matchup if you eventually meet in the final. But like I said, we do have Manchester GT coming up. That event has sold out. And then subsequently, we have the London Open in April. We have the Birmingham Teams event in May. We have Bristol in June, Leeds in August, and of course the LGT to cap off the UKTC season in September slash October. That event I checked this morning has exceeded the 500 mark and it's only been out for about two weeks. So if you do want to get a ticket to the LGT or any of our events, it's better to get them sooner rather than later to avoid missing out like so many have on Manchester. But Manny, we will see you there and thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to What's Happening in 40K. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'd also really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and recommending us to all your gaming buddies. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe for more great content from What's Happening in 40K. We'll We'll be be back back next time with even more news, updates, and opinions from the world of Warhammer 40,000. Until next time, thanks for listening.